weekend. Uh, we are, uh, I'm sure something was said about this Wednesday night. We, uh, our group from, uh, went to Tanzania. I uh, was blessed with a safe trip and a successful trip. And we appreciate your sending us, and there will be more said about that later on. But the trip went well. We do have some folks, as you know, who are sick as a result of that trip. I want to pray uh, for those people. But, um, but we, uh, we think God blessed the trip itself as far as the seed that was sown there. And I do ask that you'd keep praying for the work there in Tanzania, as, re- as well as the other works, uh, both local and overseas, that this church supports. Glad you're here today. I look forward to studying this with you, though. So, um, you see this PowerPoint screen? I was, you know, every, every time when I, when I preach, I, I choose a template to use for the PowerPoint that's going to match what I'm talking about. So this is, this is one of the ones I looked at on our, on our site, that, that, and I thought, that's a really happy family, isn't it? Looks like a really happy family. So I thought that might be good, but that, I don't know about you, but does your family always look like that? This is what you might call the Facebook family, or the Instagram family. The pictures you put up there and you want everybody to think, yeah, you know, that's our family. This is, we're always like that. We just smile all the time. And then I saw this one. And I thought, that might be a little bit more accurate for some of us at certain times, right? We, we were pulling our hair out with raising children, maybe, with, with family life. It's stressful. Life is crazy and complicated. And we're all... We all got our issues to deal with, and so children are heritage from the Lord. We believe that intellectually, but sometimes practically we just want to pull every hair we've got out, maybe, you know. So I'll settle on this one. This one's just pretty generic, and I like this one. We're going to kind of go with this one through the rest of the sermon, and that is uh, just a, what to me is a, a pretty a beautiful image there that reflects how God feels about us and reflects emotionally how we feel about our own children, and uh, we're going to use this as we go through. Uh, but I wanted, I, I thought you might be interested in my, in my own progression as I went through this, this week th- trying to think about uh, the kind of, uh, I don't know, the kind of connotation, I guess, or the emotional kind of flavor of, of what you're going to see on the screen behind me. Reminds me uh, a little bit as I talk to you about children today and we'll focus on some parenting kind of things. When I first started preaching, I was uh, fresh out of school. Uh, Bailey was born while I was in, well, I was in preaching school, and then we, uh, not long after that, I graduated and moved over to Cottondale outside of Tuscaloosa and preached there for a few years. And so I was a young, I was a preacher, you know, a young preacher. I thought every preacher is supposed to preach on parenting, and I had one kid, and she was, I don't know how old she was at the time when I preached on the first time. She was, she was little, and, and um, I wish I had a copy of that sermon so I could burn it, <laughs> and nobody would ever see or hear that sermon. I don't know where it is, but I have an idea it was probably, I, I, I have an idea that people in that congregation were probably rolling their eyes at every point. What in the world does this kid know about parenting? And, and that may be the same reaction you, you give me today, you know, when we talk about it again. But you probably heard the story about a preacher like that who he got out of school and he didn't have any kids yet, maybe, and he he preached on parenting, and it was called the Ten Commandments of Parenting. And then uh, time went on, and he had a couple of kids, and he preached a similar sermon, and he called it the Ten Suggestions of Parenting. And then those kids got a little bit older, and they became 
they became teenagers and he just threw away the sermon entirely and never preached it again. So I, I don't know if you can relate to what I'm talking about a little bit in that this is a tough issue. This is a tough issue. And, you know, you think about, think about where we are today. And I'm always tempted to say our issues are worse than they've ever been before. They're more challenging than they've ever been before. And, and, I, and I know that's the pressure of the moment. It's the pressure of the, of the time to say what we're dealing with right now. We're dealing with things that previous generations never have. And, you know, in some sense, that could be true in you know, previous generations didn't have the internet, for example, and so maybe in certain ways like that. But here's the deal. I know this. I'm not saying it wasn't also true of those of you who are older when you were raising your kids, but, but I do know this. Uh, we live in a world that makes it hard to raise children who love the Lord. And I don't think anybody in here would disagree with that. Uh, I think it's probably true 50 years ago, you know, 100 years ago. 200 years ago. So we live in a world, and the world is by its very nature opposed to God, and it's going to have certain elements embedded in the culture that make it difficult to be a mom or a dad, to be parents who try to bring your children up to love the Lord. It's a challenging thing. And uh, so we recognize that. We look around us. We, we look around us at uh, certainly the, the, the omnipresence of the availability of the Internet with all of the wonderful opportunities and the incredible and sad challenges that it presents to us and just the 24-7 you know 365 availability of the internet and their myriad devices and all the things that are potentially available to a child through that there's some challenges that, that await us we live in challenging times culturally speaking because of uh, you know the polarization of our of our country and there's a lot of anger and there's there's relational conflict and and so, I mean, you could go down the line. You, you probably don't need me to, to say all of that. You know them. You know the entertainment choices that are before us. You know the movies that come to the screen that are available on Netflix and Hulu and Amazon TV and on and on and on, just always available. And then not to mention stuff that you can just stream online in other ways from other various sites, that things that can bring what previous generations would have been unthinkable to them, can bring to the little screen of your, of your child. And it's kind of scary. So having said that, let's think about what Psalm 127 says to us. It's not exclusively a psalm about parenting. In fact, it's not a psalm where you can say, well, here are the three things that it tells us parents. Uh, but, but it is a psalm that has principles embedded in it that are, going to help, that are going to help us. And we're going to walk through them together. Children being a heritage of the Lord is the third, actually, the third of three main things that he says and we're going to talk about each of those, and I'll share some, some thoughts with you that I believe might help you. I hope will help you. You look at the first part of this, all right? Psalm 127, there's an emphasis that I'm going to stress, and it's one thing really I want you to get from this psalm today, this study today. And I know not everybody in here is a parent. I know not everybody in here is going to be a parent. And I know we've got folks in here, you've already raised your kids, and, and you might be tempted just to think, you know, this is... This is a waste of your time, perhaps. I doubt, I doubt many of you would, would think that because you recognize the, the need of this in a church like this with many parents and many people who are struggling to raise their kids to love the Lord. And, but I recognize this will be applicable to you, maybe in different ways and maybe in very indirect ways, but nonetheless an important topic. Song of Ascents. This is one written by Solomon. That's a superscript in my Bible. 
most likely it's accurate that Solomon did actually write this psalm. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. So you've got three things mentioned here basically in the psalm. You've got the first one mentioned here in verse 1, unless the Lord builds the house. At the end of verse 1, you have unless the Lord watches over the city. That's number 2, the watchman stays awake in vain. It's I'll look at that in a minute. It's in vain that you rise up. Then the third thing is in verse 3. Children are a heritage from the Lord. But I want really you to notice here that these, these three things that he's talking about, he starts off by saying that when you build a house, if God's not involved in the building of the house, the house is not going to stand. Uh, if it's built on sand, it's not going to stand. To use, to paraphrase the words of Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. But I just want you to notice here, first of all, I'll, come, I'll circle back to this, but unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord builds the house, this is so very crucial to notice the repetition here, the Lord builds the house at the end of verse 1. That actually should be the, one, the latter part of verse 1. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in, in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. The unless the Lord idea in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, is just an important part of the psalm because there's this emphasis in the psalm about what God is doing, about the one who is ultimately in control. You build a house and God's not involved in it, the house is not going to stand. You try to protect your city and you keep God out of it, you try to put... You put the watchman up, and you put the walls up, and you get everything just, just so, and you got the lines of sight where you can, you can see enemies coming from miles away. You do all that. You do it right. You do it the way that it ought to be done. You, you, you get all the stuff cleared out so that your city has this moat around it, and you got the watchman up, and you got the towers up, and you got the archers there. You get everything done just right. But you, you think that you can protect your city if God doesn't want your city protected? See how we are tempted to, to view things from a human perspective, I'm going to do all the right things. I'm going to read the book. I'm going to read the parenting book, you know, and, and, and I'm all for that, by the way. Read a bunch of them. But then you say, I'm going to follow these ten steps. You know, it's ten, ten commandments of parenting or whatever. Man, that's, that's, not, that's not it. That's not it. The ten commandments of parenting is not going to help you raise godly children apart from what God does through, through you. Again, I'll circle back to that. But unless the Lord watches over the city you can do all that you want to do to protect your city and you know i'm tempted to stop here and make application to our country uh it's not talking about america in psalm 127 maybe there's a principle there that applies in the sense that we do we do know it to be true that it doesn't matter how big our military arsenal is it doesn't matter how many nuclear weapons we have it doesn't matter how strong our borders are if God decides it's time for America to be taught a lesson, America will be taught a lesson. Uh, that's not a political statement arguing for you know, a decrease in military spending or whatever. But God's in control of the success or failure of every nation, of every house, of every city. And so we, I think, as Christians need to recognize that. And maybe that takes some of the angst out of it for us as maybe as citizens of our country in that ultimately it is God's decision. God's the one who's watching over the city. God's the one who's building, this, building the house, you know. 
But then this is the part I want to focus on for the most part, and that's verses 3 through 5, and then we'll come back and take principles from the other. But look at it with me again. Behold, children are inherited from the Lord. The fruit of the womb are reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Appreciate Quincy's words prior to communion a few minutes ago. A heritage from the Lord for children. All sorts of ideas embedded in these three verses, you know, but you've got certainly this thing being emphasized that children are a blessing from God. Uh, probably some of this language has to do with security in the sense that in the ancient Near Eastern culture in which these words were written, you've got children being your, uh, your future in, in the sense that they're going to be the ones providing you medical care and they're going to be your nursing home when you get old. In a literal sense, you had children so that you would be provided for when you were older. And so there's some of that kind of... Uh, kind of meaning in this in this text here because you know he's talking about like arrows in the hand you 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 will remain strong and you're going to have many of these in your in your quiver you will not be put to shame when you speak to your enemies in the gates. so you'll be respected by people around you because of how God has blessed your family there's a principle here though that's also true and that is that throughout the Bible throughout this is not always true in, in our culture today but in the in the Bible children are always viewed as blessings so-and-so had children because the Lord blessed them. It was a blessing from God to be given children. It doesn't mean, of course, you know this, it doesn't mean that people who do not have children are not blessed by God in other ways. But it does mean that God sometimes chooses to bless us with children, and we ought to view them that way. Now, I want to reflect now for the rest of our time here, just for, just for a few minutes, on how the psalmist might be speaking to us today as parents. I'm going to say more than one thing, but everything I'm going to say is going to relate to this one thing, and I've preached long enough to know you're not going to remember three things a week from now, I probably won't even remember three points from this sermon. But I am a little bit optimistic in hoping that maybe you'll remember one thing, that I'll be able to remember one thing from this. And I've already said it, and I'll say it a few different ways in hopes that maybe repetition will help us all. If raising children doesn't bring you to your knees to pray to the Lord, there might not be anything that will. Because this has got to be, this has got to be a God-assisted, a God-controlled experience. Or it's not going to work. That comes through in this psalm repeatedly. Though I don't think necessarily in the first two verses he's talking about parenting. I think the overall thrust of this idea in the psalm is that it doesn't matter what you do, if, if you don't put it in the hands of God, it's not going to work. And so the first thing for us as, as parents is to realize this. It comes back to God. What is your relationship to God like? 
How are you using, how are you, how are you allowing God to be in control of your family life? And you walk through this text, walk through this psalm, and you think, unless the Lord builds the house, you build it in vain. Let me ask us some, some self-examination kind of questions. What are, what are we building? What are you building? What are we building? So, so many different things, you know, that we tend to get sidetracked by, distracted by. We can be building a career, and there's nothing wrong with building a career. We can be building nice things, and there's nothing wrong with building nice material things. But I'd like to suggest to you that if you've been blessed with children, your most important building project is what you're doing in them. I mean, it is cliche, I know. But nonetheless, it's true. The old deathbed thing, you know. Who on his deathbed is regretting not earning more dollars at work? Who on his deathbed is regretting the fact that he didn't get that bigger house? But how many people on their deathbed are regretting that they didn't spend enough time building children? God blesses us with children. God wants us to be involved in building, of, of working with Him in the building. And so in the first part of the psalm, though specifically not talking about children, he is talking about this principle of, of our recognizing the importance of certain building projects. And this is, this is one that matters, folks. This is one that matters. Deuteronomy 6, uh, Quincy read a portion of this. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, the hero is of the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God is one God. You shall love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. What words? Love God with all of your being. These words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Parents, he's talking to parents here shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them, what? These words, these, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, you love him with all your heart and soul and might. These words, which I command you today, shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Unless God builds the house, those who build it, build in vain. If we build it on worldly, secular principles... If we build our houses and the emphases are throwing a 90-plus mile-an-hour fastball or shooting a jump shot or running a 4-4-40, if we build our houses based on these priorities where you graduate high school with a 4.0 and get a 34 or 35 on your ACT, if we build our houses on these superficial principles, if your body is shaped like this and you wear this style of clothing with this tag on it and you win this award if you build your house without God being the source and the focus you build your house in vain unless the Lord builds the house those who build it build it in vain if we build it according to the principles of the world those principles are you know, what matters? What matters? What matters is how much money you make. What matters is how your body's shaped, what your facial structure is, how pretty your hair is, 
you know what what guys talk about what got what guys say about you when you walk down the hall academics athletics what are the emphases in our culture now as kids grow up I mean aren't aren't those at least in some sense some of the like the four overarching be, be successful by worldly standards get that good job get into that good college make a lot of money look like this be able to play ball like that score these test grades unless the Lord builds the house those who labor build in vain nothing wrong with academics nothing wrong with athletics nothing wrong with that. You, you probably don't need me to say that only this if those are the emphases if, if those things if those things if our, if our kids grow up in an environment where they are confused into thinking that those those define success we might raise successful kids by world's worldly standards but if God's not in there as the overarching King of Kings and Lord of Lords and he is the focal point of all that we do then we may raise successful kids by worldly standards but they likely will not be God lovers and that is building in vain it's building in vain you know the, the second idea here unless the Lord watches over the city the watchman stays awake in vain I, I want to take the you know the first idea is building the second idea is is protecting it's protecting God is in the protecting business he's talking about protecting a city you can do all this stuff right and if you don't have God protecting the city it doesn't matter you can keep people awake all night but you cannot protect your city and maybe maybe there's a there's a sense in which this ties in with a where, where this psalm is going. He's not really ultimately talking about houses, building them, not ultimately talking about protecting cities, but it seems to me it has this trajectory toward the home. Where he talks about the city, or he talks about the house, talks about the city, and then he talks about the family and this idea, uh, this idea of, um, of, of protection, of protection. And, and I know this is true that we as parents got to be very serious about protecting our families, that the etymology of the word husband, for example, is a band around the house. There's this idea, the, the house band, the band around the house. There's a sense in which a husband is, has responsibility. Not that wife doesn't, not that, father, you know, that mothers don't. But there's an emphasis, perhaps, in Scripture that there needs to be, I guess I'm talking to dads for a second, we need to take seriously our responsibility to put in measures to protect our families. You may have an alarm system at your house. You may have a German Shepherd. Ours is scared of a shadow, but you, you may you may you may have you know you may have certain things that, that we do. You, you've got the you know alternating lights that, you know, come on and off when you're when you're out of town. We, we can do things to protect our, our houses, but. Sometimes, maybe this isn't true of you, but sometimes it seems we, you know, we, we do all this protecting of our houses and then we just, we just let the gates open when it comes to what our kids are exposed to. Not being aware, maybe not being as aware as we ought to be. That there's a, I, I know we can overprotect over our kids and all that, but man, there's a world out there that wants to devour our hearts 
and minds, right? And it's so subtle and so fun, so pleasant and so beautiful from a worldly perspective, right? If God is protecting the hearts of your kids, which he is, which he wants to be, what's he going to do? So, so there's a sense in which maybe the psalmist is pointing us toward this on this trajectory toward protecting the homes. And we think about how, how are we going to protect our homes? How are we going to protect the hearts of our kids? Certainly, first and foremost, it's going to be what we put into their hearts. We're bringing them to worship. We're bringing them to Bible class. They're here for VBS. They're going to be here for youth devos. You know, we're going to read the Bible together. We're going to pray together as a family. We're going to, we're going to do these things to fill our hearts with good things. Philippians 4, 8, you know, this idea of thinking on what's good, you know, the pure word, First uh, Peter 2 and verse 2. And then there's a sense in which there's got to be protection that goes on with media consumption. This always on access to, to media scares me quite honestly. And, uh, I must admit, you know, from a practical perspective, I'm, I'm thankful that I'm on this end of raising kids and not on the end where you've, you've got, from the time that they're born, they've got at least a temptation, as, as a parent would be, to just put something in their hand to keep them occupied. And, 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 the, and the temptation, it seems to me, is, is strong that, that we, are, we are being pressured to let down our guards and to allow things to get into the hearts of our children that don't need to be there. And they're not quite mature enough to handle. So God is, in, God is concerned about protection. He's concerned about protecting our, our houses. And the third idea and the last one is, first one is God is building. God is protecting. The third one is, is, is putting, our, putting our trust in him. It's putting our trust in God. I call this part of the sermon Thoughts for Anxious Parents because my guess is if you're a parent, you're anxious. I know Jesus said not to be anxious. We fight against it, but we parents are a little bit anxious. We probably, we probably need Jesus to teach us that lesson over and over again. Anxious, depending on the ages of your kids, you're probably anxious about different things. You know? And uh, it's been my experience and raising our kids that at different ages, the anxieties don't go away. They just change. They just change form. Uh, you worry about certain things when you bring a newborn home. You worry about certain things when they turn two, mainly that they're going to be a serial killer. Um, you, you, worry about, you worry about other things when they're five or six, and you know, and they go to school. You worry about other things when they become pre-adolescent, when they become teenagers, and unfortunately, in my experience, you don't stop worrying about them when they go to college, right? The worries don't, don't stop. They just kind of change form. So, so these anxieties are there. So I want to end this by, by just encouraging us. This is a God thing. God's very concerned about your kids. I, I remind myself of this often. Um, God loves my kids more than I do. He wants what's best for them more than, more than I do. And he got a lot more power over them than I do. Think about that as a parent. They are a heritage from the Lord. Unless the Lord builds, unless the Lord watches, they are a heritage from the Lord. But the emphasis in the psalm is what God is doing. So at the end of the day, we work on our relationship to the Lord as parents. We, we try to be faithful. We try to put him above all else. That filters down to everything. That filters down to the way we parent. And God ultimately is in control. And so we trust in him. 
We trust in Him. We can sleep at night, not because we think we did everything right during the day, because we didn't. We sleep at night recognizing we've made major mistakes, but we sleep at night because we know that God is in control and God is watching over the house. and God wants what's best for our kids. And so there's a, there's a point at which we... Yeah, we, we don't just say, I'm not going to, I'm just going to do a hands-off kind of thing. We do the right thing. We, we try our best to be good parents. But then, at the end of the day, we recognize, Lord, they're yours. Please, please, please watch over them. Please shape them. Please mold them. Please raise them. Please draw them to yourself. Please protect them and use them and let them be people who grow up to honor you and to serve and love you more than anything in the world. Children are a heritage from the Lord. This, this morning, uh, maybe, maybe you're here as someone who's not a Christian yet, but you're here because you're interested. We'd love to talk to you more about Jesus whom we adore and whom we have confessed. Love to talk to you more about that. Maybe you've come to a point in your progression where you're ready to become a Jesus follower, a Christian. We would be thrilled to baptize you into Christ today for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 2.38 says that. You'll receive God's Spirit. And uh, if, if, you're, if you're ready to confess Him, you want to make Him your Lord, your Savior, He will help you with life. He won't take away all the, all the struggles, but He will help you walk with those struggles and through those struggles. We invite you to come to Jesus today. Maybe, you, maybe you've already done that, but today you come here as one who needs desperately the support of your church family. Maybe you, maybe you just need prayers or maybe you need uh, something just between you and the Lord. But if there's anything we can do to help you spiritually, we want you to let us know. Let's stand and sing together.